Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome in Rose City to the Soccer Made in Portland podcast, the last one of this great and uh, interesting year, 2022. Uh, Interesting word you used to describe this this year. It was great for me personally, but you know, in terms of the subject matter of this podcast, I think folks would tend to disagree with the word great to describe what has happened in the last year, but um, there were some great things. There were some great things, certainly, uh, and and some exciting moments. Uh, namely, obviously, the Thorns winning the championship, but uh, a yeah. litany of of other um, thrilling moments. You know, one that people what kind were, of forget what about. The, what were some of the great things that happened in in soccer made in Portland this year? I mean, the Thorns winning the championship, obviously. Sophia Smith winning MVP. Uh, Sam Coffey's, uh, you know, revelation. Uh, if we want to go to the timber side, maybe Alia Zivacic's, uh sort of, you know, coming onto the scene and coming out party. Uh, yeah. Santiago Moreno, I think it w- would be a fair one. Other one, other ones. I'm rattling uh, off great things. Let's start out, you know, positive before we just dive right in. You remember when uh, when Jimmy had a cool bicycle kick? Oh, that was great. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty fun. <laughs> and then, what and, happened? And then an overhead kick in the fo- and then an overhead kick goal in the following game. And then that was it. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. <laughs> well, that's uh, that sir is uh, is a fair evaluation of the the events uh, thereafter. But yeah, no, I, I mean, I the seven goal game against Sporting KC comes to mind uh for the Timbers. That was um, that was a really fun one. Um, I, th- I think that the turnaround for the most part that the Timbers had in the back half of the season was a compelling story for a while. They obviously didn't finish the job and get into the playoffs, but you know, it was something that yeah, th- through the summer. Yeah. Yeah. So we will, uh, we'll see how things potentially, uh, become a little more positive on the whole next year because this has been a challenging year for a lot of a lot of reasons for people in this community so let's aim for unqualified greatness in 2023 deal <laughs> that's, that's that's the goal unqualified greatness that's the standard we're setting for this podcast that's the standard we're setting for everything unqualified greatness it's very important that we all live by that uh by that statement i I guarantee I am going to fall quite a bit short of that standard, just to be clear. <laughs> so, you know, personally, I'm, yeah, just, I'm just saying y'all have got to, like, pick up the slack for me. Yeah, you're kind of setting us up for for inevitable failure there. Um, That's right. That's right. Be- before we get into to the PTFC-related stuff, I, I do want to acknowledge someone who has been a crucial presence uh, in our community, in, in the sports journalism community, but also in our community, the soccer community at large. And, and that was Grant Wall, uh, who passed away in Qatar last week. And um, a very sad situation, somebody who was at the front lines of advocating for really positive social change on the platform of soccer, but also for the sport in the United States generally, uh, who, who was a constant voice and, and a mentor to so many in our business, uh, I had limited interactions with him in my year on this beat, but every one of them uh, he's a, was a class act and um, is going to be greatly missed. And and you saw the outpouring of support from people on the internet um, for him in the aftermath of his death, and and I think that that showcases the true and relentless impact that somebody like Grant Wall had on our business and and on the soccer community in general. So. R.I.P. Grant, uh, he will be undoubtedly missed. Yeah, he will be very, very deeply missed uh, across the soccer universe, not just because he was a a great journalist, because he was, uh, and not just because he had, I think, a pretty rare ability to uh, to find and report and tell 
stories within the game that were more important than the game and that were bigger than just, you know, uh, any particular game or trophy or anything like that. Uh, he had a really unusual ability, um, to, to find and to tell those stories, even when it required a lot of hard work and even when it required some courage, uh, he had as, as many guts, I think, as anybody in, in the industry, uh, to go report on things that were hard to go report on things that, that people, some people wouldn't like, uh, and, and he was willing to do it because he thought the stories were important, uh, and he was right, uh, a lot. And so he'll be missed for all of those reasons. Um, uh, but you know, he will be missed for many, many reasons. Uh, and, and I think the perhaps most deeply missed because of the way he supported relentlessly supported, uh, folks throughout the industry, uh, and, and folks throughout the, the sort of just soccer media landscape. Um, uh, it, it's truly extraordinary. The, the grant wall journalism tree is enormous. Uh, it's roots go deep. It has many branches. It has, uh, it has, uh, all of those things. Um, uh, and, uh, there are a lot of people in, in the soccer media world who knew Grant well, uh, and who are hurting. Um, and so certainly to his family, uh, and, and to all of the folks, many of whom we know, and many of whom we interact with regularly who, who knew him well, um, uh, my, you know, my, my, my thoughts and, and my prayers are with them, uh, because it, it, it's an enormous hole, um, in, in, in their lives. But, you know, the, the, the fact and that so many people are so keenly feeling his loss and the, the fact that this has sort of hit this community this deeply, um, uh, also speaks to his legacy, Right. I mean that the, the grant wall journalism tree, uh, is not going anywhere. Um, uh, it, it is, it is healthy <laughs> and it is going to continue, you know, bringing the kinds of stories that Brant brought to this community, uh, that Grant brought to this community and, you know, uh, and, 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 you know, help shape the kind of people, uh, who, who make up this community. And so, uh, in, in that respect, it's hard to imagine, frankly, any single person who has had that kind of effect, um, on, on this world that we care deeply about and that we are part of. Uh, and, and so it's, uh, it, it's an enormous loss, but it's also an opportunity, uh, to look back and, and, and to recognize what an extraordinary impact a person like Grant can make. And, and it's a, it's an example for, you know, everybody else who's, in this sports world, um, to, to, you know, conduct themselves in that way and, uh, and to try to make that kind of impact. Yeah. It's an example for me. It's, it's some, somebody that, you know, when I was learning the ropes of, of covering this sport and, and ingratiating myself in this community, he, he was someone that I, I looked up to and, and he will continue to be for me, somebody that I aspire to be like. And, and to, to try and leave that kind of positive impact through your work, but, but through your values. And, and he's a, a person that um, I, I would love to be one-tenth as impactful <laughs> as Grant was on, on not only this community, but, but um, through my work. And, and, you know, Grant was so much more than his job, but through his job, he w- was able to, to leave this legacy, leave this impact. Uh, and, and that stands out more than anything else is is that tree that you talked about the the many many branches yeah. that that stretch out uh, throughout this industry that will inevitably turn into others. And what a great example of how you don't have to leave check those values at the door or compromise those values in order to do a job in journalism effectively. Uh, it's 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 not you know journalists aren't baseball umpires. Right. Um, and, uh, and, and you don't sort of have to have to leave those values aside when you go in to report on a challenging story. He certainly didn't on, on the incredible journalism that he did in the lead up to the Qatar world cup. Um, and, and that made those that reporting and that made those stories stronger. Uh, and so it's, it's a, I mean, he's a, he's a remarkable example of how somebody can use their values, 
uh, and use their deeply held beliefs uh, to benefit uh, their journalism uh, rather than to create complications for it. We always appreciate the presence of our, our good pal Jerry in the background for uh, for Mr. Reifer there, who, who's tending to his his four legged friend. Um, word to Jerry. Uh, in yeah, Jerry, Jerry's stepping in there. Yeah, we, yes. we love we love. Uh, him. But, uh, but it, something exciting going on in the neighbor's yard that required a, you know a, a shout out from Jerry. Yeah, Jerry. Jerry always loves a good shout out. But yeah, I mean, in in conclusion, um, you know, we both feel grant Grant, by the way never would have started uh never would have started a conclusion with in conclusion yes that's true he would not have so there's a lesson (laughs) to be learned from mr grant (laughs) 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 yeah what a guy um and and his his legacy obviously will live on through through the work that so many of us do uh so we we appreciate him um one story i would i would love to have his perspective on today um, it is the NWSL report that that dropped um, yesterday uh, officially. It had been in the hands uh, of media just just for transparency's sake. It had been in the hands of media for a couple of days before that uh, in its final form. So there has been criticism, obviously, from the jump of of it being released at the exact kickoff time of one of the World Cup men's semifinals yesterday. Um, the league's been asked about that, but but the the most important aspects of of this report are, are not its timing, but rather the contents. And the contents show systemic m- misconduct and abuse in the National Women's Soccer League, enabled by those in positions of power and. It's across the board, and there are many teams and institutions that bear a great deal of responsibility at the top, no, no, not least of them, uh, U.S. Soccer and the National Women's Soccer League uh, and the power brokers at the time, and individual clubs like the Portland Thorns who failed the women who were playing for them and worked for them and and for other teams. And for other teams. It's it's incomprehensible the the scale of this. Um the the degree to which someone like Paul Riley who's accused of a great deal of uh improprieties here um was enabled by by people in power here it, and that's that's how it's characterized in the NWSL report. Um it it's a lot to unpack um and I'm wondering Chris I guess what your your first blush impressions were just just reading through the the different pieces of this report. So, first of all, in reading through the NWSL report, one of my first takeaways was that there were some new little branches to it, but by and large, it was very consistent with the Yates report that we saw a couple months ago. Uh, and and that's that's important. That is that is not at all a criticism. Uh, that's important. That 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 lends reliability to many of the findings, right? Because you had these two investigations sort of going on parallel, not uh, relying on each other, but 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 investigating this independently, and they came to many, 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 many of the same conclusions, which is which is important. Um, and it's important to recognize that. And it, it certainly adds a degree of, uh, of reliability and credibility to the work that they did. Moving to more, more substantive matters, just at a, a high level, I was, I was thinking about this yesterday because it's really easy to get sort of sucked into the trees and, and to miss the forest in, in reports like these, because they're, I mean, Frankly, there are just so many trees, right? Uh, there are so many of them. Uh, there are literally dozens of instances of misconduct that have been reported through these reports. Dozens. I haven't, I haven't counted them all. I haven't seen anybody who's, who, who's counted them all. But it's, it's an enormous number. And it's misconduct by an enormous number of people. Again, probably we're talking about dozens here. Uh, a lot of whom are or were head coaches in particular uh, who did things that, frankly, as you read through a lot of these in various stories, 
I mean, I, I can't tell you the number of times I literally said out loud, what the fudge didn't say fudge, but like you just read something and you're like, what the fudge who, who like, I mean, you read these things, you read comments that Richie Burke would make at, at, at practice. And you're just like, who would say that? Like, who, seriously, who would say those things? Yeah. I mean, some of the stuff like that reads like, like they want to be a line in a report like this almost. It's like, it's hard to believe that, that those kind of things would come out of somebody's mouth or, or that those type of actions would be taken. It's, it's hard to believe, but, but for, for so many of these, these women in, in the league, it was a reality and, and they do believe it because it's so institutional, you know, that that's the crazy thing about all this. And, and that's just, that's just it. I mean, there are dozens of instances where if they happened in my professional life, if somebody in my workplace said or did those things, it would be the craziest thing that's ever happened in my career. And the reality for NWSL players over the course of the last several years, over the course of the existence of the league, is that those kinds of instances have been just like any old Tuesday. And that is, I mean, that is the, that, that I mean, that's kind of the forest here, right? That you just have this culture where these coaches are acting with just complete impunity. They're doing and saying insane things, things that would not be even remotely acceptable and would get you insta-fired in basically any workplace. And you have not just one or two coaches doing this. You don't just have one person who found uh, a place with a weak culture that they could exploit. It's not just a matter of of this happening in in isolated spots. It's happening quite literally in the majority of the league at various times and in various instances. And when that's the case, you you have to look at leadership. You have to look at what's going on at the executive level that is creating, and I, I think the word is creating, a culture in which these people feel like they can act this way because that's not the way the rest of the world is operating. There aren't many workplaces in which this kind of conduct would be just accepted or anybody would feel like that kind of conduct is acceptable. And yet clearly numerous people did feel like that kind of conduct was acceptable or at least that they would, that there would be no, no consequence for that kind of conduct. And the reason they believe that is because they were right. The reason they believe that is because that was, in fact, the situation in the NWSL. And over and over and over and over again, in these reports, when you see these sorts of matters being elevated to leadership, almost every time, without fail, leadership responded by passing the buck, by wanting to minimize it or pass it off to the next person, or do anything that they could do to avoid being the person who puts their foot down and says, that's not acceptable. That's not going to work here. We're taking the actions that need to be taken. In almost every instance, it was, well, it's really this person's problem. Or, well, this is the other person is the person who needs to take care of this. Or, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll find a way to deal with this internally or something like that. And it's it is the starkest demonstration I can think of and I say this on basically a league-wide level in which this sort of complicity from leadership created a truly toxic culture throughout an entire league that hurt a lot of people, a lot of people. And so that's why, you know, when some, when somebody's like, well, you know, that, that coach doesn't work here anymore. BFD. The culture's <laughs> still there. That's non-responsive to what, yeah, that's non-responsive to what the actual issue is here, what the major issue is here. And I, I think that is, <laughs> that, I mean, that, that to me is the forest in, in these reports that there is a culture, at least there was, hopefully was. But I, I don't think that that has been established conclusively that this is past tense. There was a culture in which people widely thought that this is the kind of stuff that you could do and it would be fine. 
And they thought that because they were right. Uh, and that's, that is the monumental task now that NWSL and USSF and everybody involved in leadership in these clubs, in the league, in youth soccer, everybody involved in this entire universe has the responsibility of fixing immediately. Yeah, and and that's that's been the call from from fans, but it's also been been a direct call from players, right? They they see the forest. They've lived in the forest for for so long and it's only continued to grow and become more dense if if we're continuing with this metaphor. I mean, they want to systemically cut down each of these very ugly trees and they want to replant more importantly they want to create something new and better in the same space than what existed before uh this is is one of the most prominent women's sports leagues in the country and in the world and given the pervasiveness of misogyny in our society and how it impacts people's lives and livelihoods and day-to-day existences. Uh, This may always have been something that a major professional women's sports league had to wrestle with, but the institutional negligence that exists here is, is I think unique and and something that uh, is, is one of the primary focuses of, Ne- negligence players. or malfeasance. Yeah, I mean, like I th- negligence I, I think, or malfeasance. You know, I, yes. I think we have to ag- exactly. You, you know, I and I think you can probably find instances of both. Yes, and th- those are the primary focuses of of players and of of people who are directly impacted by this. The victims of these situations seek complete overhauls and change in how these institutions operate who is at the top of these institutions and what accountability looks like. And, and that, that's, that's the conclusion of this is, is all the ugliness, all the potentially triggering information that, that is laid out in painstaking detail in this and the U S soccer investigation reports. Um, all of that can't just be for things to be marginally better in in the view of the players and and the people impacted directly by this um they they want to build a bonfire they want to change systemically how this sport and the people in charge of it operate and whether that's possible to happen uh is up to not only the people in positions of power, but but those, I guess, in the soccer community to to continue to raise their voice on on these issues. I, I think that people have made themselves heard, and, and particularly the players have have created this space where um, their voices have more power than they ever have. And I'm confident in knowing many of these players and speaking to them regularly that those voices are not going to just die down because of a couple of reports that showcased that they were telling the truth the whole time and that what they went through was valid. These voices are still going to be raised and, and there's going to be some, some growing pains, some uncertainty. Um, but, but I think that these players are willing to go through that if it means a better future. And we will see how how that develops in the coming years. I think, though, it's important to note, uh, and I do think circumstances are different. I think circumstances are different largely thanks to the players. But it's important to note that this is not the first time that we've become aware of these issues. We've literally had entire leagues collapse under these kinds of issues in the past. And so it's not like this is a brand new issue that people are just now starting to deal with. And so part of the charge now is making sure the response is different this time. So that in 10 years time, you know, we're not talking about magic Jack 3.0. 
And going back to Sally Yates, <laughs> saying we needed to do another report. Um, uh, the, 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 the red light has been flashing for a while. And I, I think you're right that, that the empowerment of the players, and I think it's largely to their credit, gives us a better chance of seeing meaningful change this time around. And, uh, and, and so that gives me hope that this time it will be different, but we would be naive if we said that just because we know about these issues now, they're going to be fixed because we've known about these issues for a while. We've known about these issues for a long time and they clearly weren't fixed the first or the second or the third or the fourth time around. So part of the challenge now is this time it has to be different. Speaking specifically to Portland, uh, the the main points that, that came out of this report involving the thorns that were that, you know, the 2015 investigation, as has been discussed publicly and, and found in the U.S. soccer report, um, the 2015 investigation into what happened with Paul Riley was shoddy. It was it was conducted in poor service to the victims. It didn't have a large enough scope. Uh, and in the aftermath, those in positions of leadership for the Thorns, people like Merritt Paulson and Gavin Wilkinson, uh, they refrained from discussing discussing the subject uh, in in detail with other teams. They they were not publicly transparent about the reasoning for Paul Riley's firing, and you see evidence in in this report, and and in, this is asserted by the investigators that. The people in positions of power at PTFC were were passing the buck in in the way that you described earlier, and and they were not the only institution to be doing this. Let's be hundred percent fair here. U.S. Soccer and NWSL were passing the buck largely in equal measure, but somebody has to, in the end, be responsible, right? And that's where the criticism comes from from fans and from p- current and former players who are, who are incensed by this is that the the buck was passed and in some ways continues to be passed through the public statements and various uh investigations that have come out um to to PTFC's credit there have obviously been a great deal of public apologies that have been posted um, for Merritt Paulson, there have been, you know, actions taken such as as the firings of of Mike Golub and Gavin Wilkinson, the decision to sell the Thorns. Those are no small measures. But the people in the Portland soccer community are concerned about whether or not those measures are self serving or are in the best interest of the league and the players in the long term that people in positions of power can maybe say one thing and do another behind the scenes. They, they, they are seeking more clarity right now. And right now it's a little murky for a lot of clubs in the NWSL, but you know, Portland fans, the joy of watching these teams, the, the ability to fully and unreservedly, support them and cheer for them and be happy about them is is sapped by this and and first and foremost obviously the the victims of of these alleged issues that that existed institutionally in the league and and with the teams their problems come first but but I don't think that we should allow it to be lost in this that the people in these soccer communities are losing their joy. They're losing their passion and their sense of community as a result of over and over again, being reminded of clubs and leagues and institutions in no way reflecting their values or a common sense of kindness, fairness, and equity, which regardless of people's personal values is something that they, they hope for as a bare minimum from the sports teams that they support. And 
that's what's different, I think, with sports fandom now versus maybe 30, 40 years ago is people people need that to feel like they can fully immerse themselves in a, in a sports community, especially soccer, which historically has been such a consistent platform for this type of um, value system of, of equity, of kindness, fairness, togetherness. Um, it's a platform for it, but in many ways it has at various institutional levels failed and how that looks going forward is, is a major question, but, um, I feel for people in the Portland soccer community for how this has impacted them and how they're trying to navigate this space while also trying to follow the sport that they love. Talking more generally, we've seen a bunch of statements from various NWSL clubs and entities in, in this space over the course of the last 24 hours or so since the report came out. We actually haven't heard from the Thorns yet, so I guess this isn't directly a comment about them. Uh, but if part of your statement is pointing at the other people and the other entities that you think are responsible, you're not being accountable. If if you're still sort of putting on the, well, other people screwed up defense, you're missing the point. You're not being part of the solution. <laughs> uh, and I think we've seen some of that uh, around the country. Uh, and I think we need to see a lot less of it because it is true, factually, that that there are a lot of irons in this fire. Uh, it's true that 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 this was not uh, a culture that was created by one person or or one club or one entity. Yeah, okay, great. But that I mean, that's what aboutism. That's not a defense. <laughs> uh, that's what aboutism. That's not accountability. And is, so, if if part of your response is well, other people screwed up too, uh, you're not part of the solution. And and that goes for you know, everybody sort of that, that is, that has resorted to that kind of stuff over the course of the last, uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> 24 hours, 15 months, whatever, uh, it, 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 that's, that's not going to cut it. And, you know, it's, it, I think it's also important to note because you hear this sometimes that this isn't just something that very online NWSL fans care about. I like I have I have lots of people in my life. I I am a very online N NWSL fan, right? Uh, I, <laughs> I am I am as we've discussed one of the sickos, so to speak. Uh, I have lots of people in my life who are not very online N NWSL fans. In fact, aren't NWSL fans at all? Who have heard about these things and who have come to me with exactly the same reaction that I've had? They they have also had the the repeated what the fudges uh, in in reading about these things. So this is not this is not a matter of of very online NWSL fans who were responding to something unreasonably. These issues are very real. These issues would be major issues in any workplace context, any at all. Whether it's a soccer league or an insurance company or any anywhere these would be enormous problems anywhere. And so I just want to make clear that this is not a matter of, you know, Twitter jockeys being outraged uh, about something. These are extremely real issues uh, about which many people uh, need to be reflecting and taking accountability. I think that's a great bookend to this discussion for now. Obviously, we will continue to to discuss these and other issues as they continue to pop up over the the, the next few months and years. Um, there will be a lot to discuss, I'm sure, uh, on all fronts with when it comes to this subject. Um, when when it comes to to the on field stuff, the the, the soccer side of things, 
there has been a, a little bit of news amidst the the off field challenges that that uh, the club and and leagues have faced, uh, and and the one that is most recent it, it involves the Timbers uh, seeking to to potentially bring in a striker on loan. Uh, they have, according to Tom Bozier of uh, MLSsoccer.com, put in a loan offer. I like that. Did you just soften the G in, in Tom's name? Tom Tom Bozier. Uh, that, that is the version of Tom who is rooting for France in the World Cup final on Sunday. That would be, that would be Tom, Tom Bozier. I love it. Yeah, how about Boger? Boger, can, yeah. Can we do? <laughs> Tommy Boger. Yeah, I think that was a bit of a slip of the tongue there, Tom. I, I apologize, <laughs> but uh, it it is the morning here in uh, Soccer City, USA. But uh, <laughs> he he reported, Tom did, that uh, the Timbers are putting in a loan offer for Danish striker Casper Junker, who uh, whose pronunciation I have thoroughly researched by listening to exactly one Japanese soccer broadcast. Uh, he plays in the J league <laughs> in, in fun Japan. Last name, though. Yeah. Fun last name. Junker. Uh, Lots of jokes can, can, can come out of that. Yes. Plenty of them uh, as given the, the spelling J U N K E R. Um, hopefully nothing terribly insulting. If he has a rough time with the timbers, I, I would hope that the meme lords among us would would try and avoid such things, but I, I can't speak for for Mr. Reifer on that front. I, I make no such promises at all. <laughs> he, he he's twenty eight years old. He currently plays for the Urado, Udawa Reds. That's a tough one to to do with the Japanese pronunciation. Um, and and he has twenty seven goals and three assists and sixty two appearances for the Reds. Uh, previously played. Uh, with a Norwegian team where he scored 27 goals and 11 assists in 25 appearances. Um, maybe not as, as strong of a league as the J league, but still numbers are numbers. Right. And so he's somebody that is one of better to the, have good ones than bad ones. Better to have the numbers than not have them. Exactly. There's, there's your, your neato fact of the day. Uh, <laughs> so, um, uh, you, you file that away for the hot take segment to be named later. Better yeah. to have good numbers than bad numbers. Goals. Good. Not goals. Bad. That's the, that's the take here. But apparently, you know, according to Tom's reporting, it's not the only option for the Timbers at striker. This is somebody who um, would, based on where he plays, his age, his production, he he would factor in. But but there's no guarantee that you know he'd be somebody that would start over Yaroslav Nishgoda uh, starting out this season. Um, Felipe Moore isn't really going to probably be back until May. That's that's the rough estimate. He could be back earlier, could be later, depends on on his recovery and their approach. So so right now you have um Nias Goda and then potentially Fogasa. Fogasa actually still has not um finalized any kind of deal to return to the Timbers. Um and that's that's essentially it unless, you know, somebody like Diego Gutierrez or Tega Yacoba take a big step from, from their youthful development. Um, so Juncker would, would factor in there and into the rotation. He wouldn't be a, uh, I don't think a day one starter difference maker, which is what I think a lot of fans are, are hoping for at that position. Somebody that could be an upgrade from what you got out of Nizgoda and, and, you know, Nizgoda was efficient, but he was not consistent uh, in terms of his production this season. Uh, as as we have spoken efficient about. but not prolific is the way the yes. way I would, I would describe it yes and and they need somebody even with the addition of Evander who's going to be a a goal scorer a playmaker they need somebody at that position who who is really you know an upgrade and and the question is will Junker be that and if he does come to Portland, I should say that he it's not nothing's official yet uh but but you know if he does come here. Will he be that, or or will he kind of just be another piece of of the unfinished puzzle? So I think what we learn primarily through Junker being an option uh, is a little bit about the profile of player that it looks like the Timbers are pursuing in this spot. Uh, it, uh, you know, I mean, I would expect somebody like Junker to be kind of a low level TAM level kind of player. 
uh, coming in based on his profile. The J League is a solid league. Oh, it's it's sort of weirdly, and I've I've always been a little bit curious why this is. It's not a lot a league in which there's been a lot of traffic between MLS and J League back and forth. We see that uh, with some, with a number of leagues sort of of that level generally, uh, and J League has not been one of them. Oh, that's kind of just an aside. But you know, this is not a a big swing by any means, and I think there was a genuine question about whether the Timbers were going to make sort of. M- bigger, deeper roster cuts so that they could make a couple big swings, one being Evander, the other, presumably, I think we thought, maybe being the nine, uh, to really make splashes at both of those positions. And this isn't that. And it was always a possibility that they were going to do something more modest uh, here uh, after having only the one big swing. And and it looks like this is that, uh, a more modest move. Frankly, I worry a little bit about that. It feels like that has just kind of been the MO in terms of what they've targeted at this number nine position since Brian Fernandez and and that deal sort of went pear-shaped. And that concerns me uh, a a little bit because, you know, I mean, I, I think you can see the range of, the types of players that that you're generally going to bring in with this kind of approach. Once in a while, you're going to find a diamond in the rough, right? And 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 maybe that's really going to work out. But, you know, the more predictable range is falling somewhere between where Felipe Mora and Yaroslav Nishgoda have have fallen for for the Timbers. That's that's about the the likely range of this kind of uh signing. And that's not to say that that's all bad. Felipe Mora has certainly had some some good spells for the Timbers. But even then, I mean, is was has he ever been better than an sort of an average MLS starting number nine? No, I would I would put him sort of in that even in is sort of when he's been fit and in form, kind of in the the middle, the middle third uh, of the league in terms of starting number nines. Again, better than the better than the bottom third, not as good as the top third. That's where the middle third is, uh, and. And so that's that's probably about, about the range uh, for this kind of move. And does that get the job done? Does that is that a, a bold enough move to put the Timbers in a strong position for a a significant turnaround in 2023? My view is no. If if I was doing this uh, and I had uh, unlimited money and, and and all of those things, uh, I think the situation calls for being a bit bolder, for making some deeper cuts, and for for pursuing some uh, a more significant target at this position in, in particular. Uh, but you know, <laughs> uh, they I I am a I am not in charge of the Timbers. Uh, B. Uh, Unlike my fantasy world, the Timbers have budget limit limitations and 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 those sorts of things that uh, that come down from on high. And so, you know, I think considering all those things, this is a strong indication that this is the direction that they're going. We'll see how it works out. Uh, but but I think that's that is the emerging reality uh, of where they're at. I still think and still think it should be looked into uh, that if there is not the cash budget to make a big move. Uh, they should really look into seeing if there's a potential trade for Joseph Martinez. Uh, he, you know, given age and injury history, has some issues, but my goodness, the guy is still scoring a bunch of goals in MLS. Uh, and 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 you know, that's one to me that that if that's available, uh, if that's a possibility, should be explored. Um, that would take some other maneuvering, though, uh, and it doesn't look clear that the Timbers have either the ability or the desire to make that other kind of maneuvering. Right. And and there is also the, you know, other position that I have heard they are, they're seeking to, to fill with somebody that's an upgrade and that's center back. Um, you know, Gio Savarese had talked last season about the feeling that he had four starting center backs and, and that didn't necessarily come to fruition by the seasons. end. I think that early on that, that was more true than it ended up being. And and that's the challenge of, you know, having aging players at that position, having young unproven players at that position who, who are transitioning into kind of a, a more consistent role. Um, so, so that's, that's obviously part of their priority as well as, is trying to seek out somebody there. Um, Thinking about the the Timbers attacking setup and just kind of how how it might look, uh, you you envision Evander obviously uh, playing centrally in in an attacking midfield spot. Um, I, I think that there's an opportunity now to shift Sebastian Blanco away from that area and and into more of a winger 
type of spot um, on the left wing, probably. And super then, sub. Yeah, and then super, super sub him as well. Uh, 100% uh, a super sub, primarily. Primarily, yeah. It, if he's starting more than more than more than ten or fifteen games next year, uh, it that something has gone wrong, either in design or <laughs> or in circumstances, something has gone wrong. Gone well, wrong. he could he could have. I mean, it, I I know the direction he's going in terms of his career and in terms of the limitations of minutes he can play, but he could have a, a little bit of a, a boost in terms of his you know, late career ability to contribute the minutes he's able to play. I, I think that he inevitably will be healthier this coming year than he was last year. So I, I don't know if it, it's necessarily true that he he will be fully relegated to the super sub thing from here on out. I think it's certainly possible and I would not be surprised, but um, he, he he's still if you have Evander a, a big, in the starting yeah. lineup regularly though. And he is your and Evander is your primary playmaker. What is the utility of Sebastian Blanco as a starter? Because the, I mean, especially later in his career, that's been his role, yeah. right? And and he had some really phenomenal seasons in, in in that role. Make no mistake at all. But if he is not your primary playmaker, uh, what is his role in the starting eleven? Uh, and you have a secondary playmaker who who has a a, a better rounded game because of his youth uh, in in Santiago Moreno. You've got a guy like Eric, Eric Williamson who's able to chip in, in in that respect. I mean, really, what is the role uh, that that Sebastian Blanco plays in that starting eleven? And and I don't I don't think it's a great fit. And so I think a lot of factors, including you know saving some bullets and keeping some minutes off his legs and 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 hoping to preserve his health over the course of the season, all point in the direction of of Blanco primarily uh, being in in a substitute role. That doesn't mean that he won't play. I think he's a guy who is one of your subs basically every game, as long as he's healthy, uh, almost regardless of score, right? <laughs> uh, almost regardless of game state. Uh, the, I, I think he's a guy that, that you're likely to bring on. Uh, but that strikes me as both the best way to get the most out of the unit and probably the best way to get the most out of Blanco. Do you think then in, in that scenario, you know, I, I think that's a perfectly reasonable, you know, assessment of it. And I think is, is, likely to to be Gio Savarese's approach. But um in that scenario, do you see them kind of going with somebody like Jimmy Char on the wing since, you know, he is still a DP and then maybe he can be a wing, possibly wing back type of guy that, you know, you know he can he can drop back and play a little defense for you. His last name is Char after all. But you know, it, he's he's his speed on the wings I think would be valuable. He in tight spaces in the middle of the field, he seemed to struggle and lose the ball all the time last year. I, is that the solution for 60, 65 minutes? And then you throw Blanco in at that spot or uh, what do you think? I think that's a possibility. Uh, I think that other wing would be a little bit of an open competition. Assuming Geo sticks with the four, three, three that he very clearly likes. And, and for good reason, I actually like that setup sort of across the soccer world too. Uh, I think, uh, I, I think that when you have three central midfielders that are well balanced between a defensive midfielder, a box to box midfielder, and then, and then a, an attacking midfielder who can play defense, which is what Evander is. I think Evander fits great into that, you know, sort of more advanced eight role in a four, three, three central midfield, um, based on, on, on my understanding of his profile, that seems like a great fit. Uh, then, you know, the question is going to be what the Timbers do with, with their two wide forwards, uh, Santiago Moreno obviously did pretty well uh, in that spot. And I think uh, if he is not the focal point of the attack, uh, has some potential to be even better uh, in in those positions uh, and in that role. And then I think the other wing becomes a bit of an open competition. Uh, And I think you could see the Timbers going in a little bit of a different direction uh, in in a few different directions with, with that. It could be. That especially with with Moreno on one wing, you want an extra little bit of attacking directness on the other, and maybe Diarona Spria makes sense in in that instance. Uh, maybe you you find uh, that you want to free up Evander in the attack a little bit, and you want to free up Moreno in the attack a little bit, and so you feel like you need another zone mover, and so then maybe Jimmy Chara uh, makes makes a little bit more sense. Oh, and so I think you can see that going in a few different ways. I also think the other question would be who would be the less advanced eight in the central midfield. Uh, the rumors about Eric Williamson leaving following your reporting a few weeks ago that, 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 that move was looking less likely. Those reports seem to have kind of petered out 
and and I think you, if your desire is to see Williamson back in a Timbers jersey, you're probably feeling a little bit better about that today than you were a month ago. That, to be clear, is my desire. <laughs> um, and, and I am feeling better about that today than 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 I was a month ago. Does that role suit him, uh, or does it suit Christian Paredes better? I think that's a question. Could Jimmy Chara end up being a factor in that spot? I think that's another place you could see Chara pop up and just go full double Chara and Evander in, in central midfield. Uh, I So I think that's a possibility. Um, but I think that creates between that eight spot and, uh, and, and the opposite winger, the winger opposite Moreno. I think that creates uh, competition there. And, and those will be the open questions uh, heading into, into and out of camp. And that will start in January uh, down in California. They will be uh, participating in a tournament down there with uh, various other MLS teams. No, none of the games broadcast on TV. None of the results really made terribly public. That's just kind of how things go in the preseason uh, in January. So we'll be keeping an eye on that. Which is see. dumb. Yeah, it is dumb. I agree. Which is dumb. We are a pro sicko podcast. Sickos love that kind of stuff. Yeah. Be good to your sickos. Yes. Maybe maybe some sickos will be able to sneak in there and, you know, peer through the fence and and like the the just guy in the meme, the meme, right? Yeah, literally just be like the guy in the meme, but instead of a, a window, it's like a it's like a chain link fence outside of like this this training facility they'll be in in, in I believe it's Indio, uh Coachella. Yeah, they're going to Coachella. They're, it's it's Timbers they're Chella. Gonna, they're going to be insufferable telling us stories about the time they went to Coachella when they get back. Yeah, I can't I can't wait for uh for all the all the insufferable cella stories and and maybe there'll be like some some cella <laughs> style I'm, I'm just you know shortening it to cella for for the youths out there um <laughs> maybe yeah. there'll be some like outfits that like they can they can post to ig then show off who knows please don't do that <laughs> please, please please don't let that be the direction that uh that that, that preseason goes Oh, I don't know, man. It's up to the social team. I'll let I'll let those folks over at uh, at PTFC do their thing. But we'll we'll That's see right. how That's right. how how much uh, Chella outfit vibes we we get out of that trip. But um, another p- potential, as the kids would say, cringe, cringe, bro. <laughs> uh, so another potential roster building um, avenue, and one that is is little less important if not much less important than you know the other ones we've been talking about uh is the mls super draft which is coming up on wednesday the 21st um that has an opportunity for the timbers to make several picks uh kind of middle round picks to to shore out you know t2 and then the back end of their roster um any position in particular you think that they should you know pursue somebody in in the super draft or, or what's your take no. there no no uh look the super draft just isn't deep enough uh after the first couple picks to be really picky about which positions you're targeting take the best player trust your your you you know <laughs> hopefully your scouting system is good enough that you have uh, a good idea uh, about a, a a number of uh of players and take the one that you feel best about uh, whenever your pick comes up, uh, the the travesty uh, of the MLS Super Draft forever and ever and ever will be the year that we watched as Christian Roldan, just like who is universally regarded as as one of the most talented and best players in uh, in the Super Draft, tumbled to the Sounders at like 19th because 18 GMs in front of Seattle talked themselves into not knowing what his position would be. That never again, never again, uh, should any GM do that. <laughs> like, like he was even a generation Adidas guy. Unless fourteen of them do that this time with some other guy, and that happens to be that at the fifteenth pick, the Timbers take him. Or what's your? But, yeah, maybe. Uh, but like, <laughs> but I mean, that was just the that was that was the travesty of the super draft that that should end that kind of thinking forever and ever and ever. Because Christian Roldan, it turns out, oh yeah, actually was the really good player that everybody knew he was, and he figured out a position, and then he was on the World Cup team in in in, in Qatar. So like, I mean, it, it, don't overthink this. Uh, take the best position to take the best player who is available when your pick comes up uh 
then give them opportunities to come in, in into the team uh, and carve out whatever role for themselves that, that they can carve out. Timbers have the 15th, 44th, 73rd, 85th, and 88th picks in this draft. So they have five total draft picks that they can use. Will they use all of them? Will they they ship a couple of them here or there or elsewhere for, for a little, little cash? Little cash. Or pass or do whatever they want to do. The I mean, Bruce Arena special. Yeah, the <laughs> the Bruce Arena special. Um, the, you know, there we'll are see. good players who come out of the the super draft every year. Uh, yeah, you know, the Timbers have found have found some contributors. They're not always world beaters, um, but when you have an opportunity to pick up a Zach McGraw for free, you should take that because solid player who's carved out a role for himself. Uh, and you no acquisition costs. So you know, I mean, they they're they're good players. To be had, you just got to be able to find them and pick them. And we'll see how the uh, the Timbers uh, handle that. How what they they might be seeking out out of that uh, opportunity to to shore up the roster because they they do have a lot of of younger players that are kind of making their way up through the ranks. So that this feels like a lot of a lot of guys potentially drafted that that won't see the field for a couple of years. But you know they're. they're it's about layering your roster, right? It's about, you know, making, making it such that you are set up for the, the time after many of these aging contributors on the timbers, uh, retire, move on, whatever, whatever may happen in their careers. That's, that's the function essentially of this is to have that backup. But you know, the, the primary method of acquisition right now is, is not the draft. And so that's, it's, not a major concern, but something to watch because you never know. There could be could be a diamond in the rough that pops out. There could be a Christian Roldan type of person that exists in, in, that, in that pool. One primary method of acquisition that the Timbers have not availed themselves in the past and that they should be, uh, but have not been active this year, is free agency. The Timbers were, were maybe the only uh, team in MLS last year that did not play a single player who had... MLS experience with another team. That is wild. And think back to the 2015 team. That wasn't the case. They had lots of guys who had previous MLS experience with other teams. Jorge Villafania, Nat Porchers, uh, Rodney Wallace uh, came from DC United. There were Will Johnson came from, uh, from Salt Lake. There were a number of guys on that team. And when you look at good teams across MLS, there are those guys. Uh, there are some good players still available in free agency. Uh, and uh, that is something that the Timbers should be really considering, especially at the center back position. There are some solid center backs uh, who are on the market for free, uh, and and that should be something the Timbers should be looking into. Is this just another opportunity for me to say that the Timbers should be looking into signing Alex Collins? Maybe, maybe not. Do I know how to say Alex Collins' last name? No. Does that give me something in common with literally every other MLS broadcaster uh, who has ha- has worked in the league over the course of the last several years? It does. <laughs> All very good points and um, you know, avenues through which the, the Timbers can can add to their uh, add to their roster. Um, that'll wrap it up for us on on the soccer side. Uh, hope hope that. You know, everybody has a happy holidays, spend some time with family, uh, rest, recharge, enjoy these, these frigid, if you can enjoy them few days uh, that are coming up for us uh, here in the PNW. Um, We will be back to discuss any and all things uh, soccer related in the city of Portland uh, next year. This, This is our last one for 2022. Um, but we will be back and there will be, I'm sure, many storylines for us to discuss as as the years go by here with PTFC. Unqualified greatness in 2023. I'm manifesting it, as the kids would say. I'm, I'm going to take a page out of former Arizona State University football coach Todd Graham's book and and live by four, four pieces of uh, advice here. Character, smart, discipline tough that was sun devil football under todd graham at least that's what he said it was uh whether that translated to the field or not uh you know that's up for debate but 
I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, man, a Todd Graham reference to close out 2022. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. That that's the only way that this, this, is, this is the deepest of cuts in Pac-12 football. <laughs> this is the only way I could have ended a podcast here in 2022. But uh, thanks to everybody who, who listened all year. Shout out also to year. Gary yeah. Anderson, former head coach of the Oregon State Beavers. Okay. We got a Gary Anderson shout too. <laughs> Okay, we we've shouted out I think all of the uh college football coaches that that are tolerable uh for for our listeners at this point. So that will indeed wrap us up. Uh thanks to everybody for for listening all year, for for submitting your questions, for uh providing your ratings, your feedback, your following of this podcast it means a lot to the both of us. Uh it it's it's been a year, but uh we'll we'll see how next year goes uh thank you all for joining us and uh for chris reifer i'm ryan clark uh we'll see you next time